But penises are confusing, so it's a very valid uh, zine to have. Or just, you know, information to disseminate. (laughs) (laughs) Especially with, like, I don't know, I've had some fun conversations with students over the last week or so about body stuff. So I've just been, like, in that zone of... Okay, yeah, all of our bodies are weird. I think one of the my, one of the favorite things, um, one of my, he was like the professor for a creative writing class in Chicago. Um, he said something about like we're all just sacks of flesh anyway, yeah. <laughs> blah blah blah. But it was because of like in response to something that I'd written that like the one I don't know if you've seen it, the one that like is like I'm a mortal through body parts. Hmm. And we were going through that, and there were parts that people like were reacting strongly to. And he's like, "We're all just stacks of flesh." And mm-hmm. <laughs> just reminds me of Futurama, like Bender calling everyone a meat bag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, humans! Go! Hey, welcome to the EduPunks Podcast. It's your host, Craig Biderman. This is the podcast for everyday educators and daily disruptors. This week, I'm chatting with one of my good friends and colleagues, Don Graham. Don is one of my favorite people uh, because they uh, do a lot of really kick-ass work uh, in the realm of zines, and they work with a bunch of youths with technology and being better youths, and it's really great. We basically have worked together uh, for the last almost three years now, doing a lot of really good work with a uh, SAMHSA grant, which is Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Administration uh, grant that we've been doing on sexual health education uh, at UMass Boston. Uh, soon uh, that grant ends up, so we won't get to like hang out in a professional capacity, but we'll be friends, and that's great because uh, we've gotten to do a lot of stuff together over the last couple of years, so it'll be really exciting to see what Don moves on to next and uh, all the hangs we get to have after all, all that's all done. But yeah, Don does a lot of really cool work with zine distribution and even creating their own zines and has come a long way uh, in their life. They've definitely lived a full life already uh, coming from... Uh, the hardcore scenes in Kentucky and through via Chicago and Vermont is been in Massachusetts now. And so you're going to get to learn a whole lot about Don and uh, basically how the punk hardcore scene and zine culture has informed basically all of their experiences. 
This week, you also get to hear tunes from the new uh, Just Friends album, which came out like back in July through Counterintuitive Records. It is a very, very, very fun, very ska album. Lots of horns, lots of dancing, lots of really good breakdowns. It is a fun album. You're going to get to hear a bunch more. You already heard a little bit in the intro. You're going to hear a bunch more throughout the episode. Uh, For folks who are new to the podcast, please uh, subscribe. That'd be really sick. Rate and review it as you listen. Whatever you want to do. I'm not here to tell you how to live your life. Uh, But yeah, let's get into this conversation with Don. There's a lot to cover. Like a whole half hour that we're going to talk about life and like anarchism and stuff. Um, Here we go. So I'm sitting in my living room with Don Graham. How are you, Don? Good. Good? Good. It's nice. This is the earliest I've done one of these. <laughs> it's 10 a.m. on a Saturday, and we're we're here. But we're, you've been awake for a while, right? I have been awake. I slept in until 7.45 this morning, which is a feat in, its, in itself. What time did you get up, Don? 6.30, okay. I think. Okay. Okay. You're also an early riser, right? Yes, and my cat has a schedule, so I can't sleep in past that without dealing with upset cat running around. <laughs> Our cats, well, football will wake uh, typically Katie up by just like sitting on top of them. Football or tucks, the second he hears any of us awake, will just like pace on the bed. Yep. Yep. Just yep. pace, and then he's like, "Are you guys actually getting up, or is that all right? I'll leave." <laughs> What's the schedule like? Do you have to get up and actually feed it or what? Yeah, just 6.30 breakfast, 6.30 dinner. So You don't just leave food out? No. Do you do, you do dry or wet? Uh, usually dry, but mix in wet every once in a while just okay. for fun. But uh, I can't leave food out. Um, Kitty B lived with another cat for a while and learned that in order to eat, it meant eating right away. Yep. Being with the other cat and has stayed in that habit ever since. Mmm. So. Yeah, Tux is one of those that the second you put food down, he consumes all of it and then throws it up later. Because he eats too fast. That's why we have a cat tree, cat food tree. Well, that's why we got one of those bowl, like not bowls, but it's like a, it's like a splayed out thing that has like waves in it and you just kind of tuck all the food in there. So he has to work at it now. But we've also fit in dinner is wet food now. And that's kind of why he's come out of his shell a little bit more. Yeah. And it's a really weird balance, and I love that we're starting by talking about cats, because it's just a good way to get into the episode. Um, what's really fun is, whenever we put out wet food, football actually doesn't like wet food. Football just likes the gravy. And Tux is indifferent, so I just strain the gravy and give that to football, and then Tux will eat the wet, will eat the actual chunks. No. And I think it's a good balance because they both get to, like, sit and eat that together. It's nice. Yeah. And Tux is actually, like, hanging out lately, which is freaking weird. Tux is being super friendly today. Yeah, this is wild. Maybe he recognizes that there's some cat on you and he's like, oh, I, tr- I can trust this one. Yeah. You, I, you know. Animals know when they've got a friendly person around. Yeah. They know when they have loud assholes around, which is typically me. 
And I own these cats. No, no, they own us. You cats get free rent. All right. Well, Don, I know a lot about you because we've worked together for the last, I don't know how many years. Three. Yeah, three Three. years. Well. Two and a half years, I guess. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. two and a half years. Um, But our time hanging out is going to be ending, well, professionally, we'll be ending somewhat soon. Um, So I wanted to make sure that we could get a conversation in before that. Um, First question, how much have you loved working with me over the last two (laughs) (laughs) years? It's been fantastic. (laughs) Don, you're probably one of the few people who've seen the full spectrum of me. Really? (laughs) Being really obnoxious, anxious, sad, and narcissistic you've seen all of it i think i have i've seen all those pieces <laughs> all of those well that's not actually why we're here <laughs> uh don i do know a lot about you but can you tell folks a little bit about who you are what you do where you come from and how you got here uh that's that's a lot of pieces i could say a lot about any one of those well we have um, a lot of time don <laughs> um I think a lot of times the way that I kind of sum up my background is that I I have a background in working with media, working with young people, um, queer communities, doing violence intervention and prevention, doing work around that kind of stuff, and often um, when possible in ways that overlap. So that's, mm-hmm. um, I guess, usually what I'm describing, like work background, but that's also very tied into my life, yeah. and I do work that I care about. So um, that's as applicable to other parts of my life outside of work, I guess. Um, and, um, well, I mean, you know, you, you, there are all these things that you know about me already, but, um, (laughs) folks listening don't know though, Dawn, (laughs) but I grew up in like the punk and hardcore scene in Kentucky. And, um, so that's a big part of my background was both that music scene and the way that that extended the idea of family and community, beyond Kentucky, right? Um, And beyond, I I guess, regular family. Oh, yeah. Well, (laughs) no, when I say family, I'm usually talking about people I know through music, not through blood relations. (laughs) Genetics, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I don't know. I think uh, those are kind of the big parts of my life. Um, And I'm vegan. I don't know. That's a thing. (laughs) I like food, so it's very relevant. But it's also fun because I know how picky you have to be because of being vegan, too. I've witnessed that. Yeah, yeah. Well, so it's interesting. Like, to me, it doesn't feel like being picky. It's just figuring out... What you can eat. Where, yeah, in which places, that kind of thing. Yeah. It's always fun at the end of, like, an orientation session. I'll be like, there's some vegetables over there if you want, and some rice if you want to go get them. And then you're like, some of that was cooked in, like, meat fat or whatever. And I'm like, hell yeah. Way to go, Sodexo. You can never really trust them. I don't know. They are very iffy with their labeling on very. all of the foods. Like, they'll, they've had stuff that has said vegan, like, literally in the title, vegan something something. Mm-hmm. And then listed in the ingredients right underneath with egg. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't, I don't think you know what these words yes. mean. <laughs> I don't think you understand. Um, so you came up in Kentucky, yeah. which I've actually been there. I've been to Louisville. I, you, you might remember when I went there, but I didn't get to go any gigs. Um, what was it like growing up in the punk and hardcore scene in the middle of a place I don't associate with punk and hardcore? <laughs> well, okay. So first of all, something to know about 
about, so I grew up in Lexington. Okay. Like a central Kentucky. Mm -hmm. So something to understand about that is that at one point in time, that was a central hub for a lot of music stuff because of the way that the roads are. Like that was just a stopping ground for Hmm. a lot of people. Okay. Um, And so if you're talking about the punk scene, like that has a long history and like a lot of the old, like bad brains and all those folks like played Mm -hmm. Lexington. Like that was, it was a a place that made sense for people Mm -hmm. to go through. Um, And clearly I wasn't around during bad brains. Uh, well, back yeah. then. <laughs> no. um, but um, I don't know. I, I think it's interesting because every place you go has its own feel to it. Like, I think um, any scene has its own char- character and characters mm-hmm. in it, both, right? <laughs> um, and so they can feel really different with having grown up in Lexington and then having lived in a bunch of other places. So I, I lived in LA for a while. I was in Vermont, Chicago, and now here in Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then also just from visiting places, I feel like Lexington felt very special in a lot of ways um, in terms of it being, at least when I was growing up in it, there being so many different types of um music genres being mixed up, but still being considered part of, of the same scene Mm. early on. Um, and there was definitely a split that happened at some point. So a lot of folks I know who grew up there, like we all kind of reference a certain time period of being like, yeah, like everyone hung out and then, Mm. and then this happened and, (laughs) and then it was split into like the different genres of music that we talk about and stuff like that a lot, or even between like, like the straight edge kids and the drunk kids and, you know, like that split happened. Um, whereas, when I was, um, before that, everyone just kind of hung out and there were a lot of different things going on. Um, for me going into it, so I went to a private school, which I did not want to be at and spent a lot of time trying to get out of. Um, what do you mean? <laughs> you tried to get out of? Yeah. Were you, you getting in trouble and shit? <laughs> no. Do you not know this story? No, I don't think so. Okay. So... So <laughs> share as much as you want. <laughs> no, this, this was actually like I had a a huge my life perspective kind of shifted a while ago um, because of because of this story. But um, when I so my dad grew up in like a poor farming family in mm-hmm. in Kentucky, and he had to move around a lot when he was going through school. Um, so he wasn't in the same school very much. That kind of thing. Um, he didn't really. He wasn't able to make strong relationships and connections with Mm. people. Um, And so I think uh, what I understood was that um, when I was, the kindergarten I was at only went through eighth grade. And so I'd have to go to another school after that regardless. Mm -hmm. And so rather than have me split or have to change schools when I was at that age, they wanted me to start at a school that I could be at from first grade on until I graduated high school. Whoa. Um, and so there were two options that were that were given up to me, and one was the private school in Lexington, and the other was the public school in the town that we lived in. Hmm. Um, the reason that the private school was brought up was because my dad had been a janitor there. He'd worked as a janitor there before, and so he, he knew um, the quality of education and the teachers and the environment that it had and thought that it would be, um, it could be a good a good place for me to be academically. Um, so the deal was I got to choose 
which school I wanted to go to. <laughs> um, of the two? Of those two. The the one where the public school I would have been going to or the private school. Um, so I got to choose, but I had to stay until I graduated. And I was a kindergartner making this decision. So we went to visit the private school first. That's a lot of pressure. <laughs> Yeah, and we went to see the private school first, and I saw the library, which had, like, all the fun kids' books and stuff like that in the playground, which was super fun. That's all I saw, and I was like, I don't even need to see the other school. I want to go here, (laughs) because that is the mind of a kindergartner. Yep. Um, And then they held me to that. Oh, good. So by sixth grade, I was trying. I was not happy Mm -hmm. in that environment, and I was trying very hard to get out. Um, and I mentioned there is like a a shift that happened more recently or with that, where all this time, like I thought that it was my dad holding me to that decision because Mm -hmm. he was the one I made that agreement with. And, um, I was talking with my mom about it more recently after the, this election happened, we started having a lot more conversations um, about things we'd never talked about before in terms of, um, well, for a lot of different issues, but, but specifically also around race and what it has meant for each of us to grow up in the U.S. Like, she immigrated here, and so her experience was very different than mm-hmm. mine growing yeah. up here. Um, Where did she immigrate from? She was born in Seoul, South Korea, oh, okay. and came here when she was... Um, starting college okay and so she had to learn english while she was going through college wow um so our experiences were very different in that sense um but one of the things that that we started getting into conversation about was what my experience at that school had been and all the racism i dealt with Hmm. um and she and I didn't go into uh, some of the details that I knew yeah. would be harder for her to hear around that. But um, just touching on that, she had never known about some of the stuff going on. Like kids used to hang nooses in the trees and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, as as a kid at that point, it was something where like we all knew what was going on. The teachers knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. The school knew what was going on. So I never bothered bringing it up to my parents because it's like, well, everybody knows surely like the school, like parents know school would have told, you know, there are a lot of assumptions being made. Um, and so, and when we talked through that, she was like, no, like they don't, they never told us anything bad that happened at that school. You know, like it was just all the good things. Um, but the other part that came up during that, cause I brought up the, that piece about, um, you know, having to hold that agreement, to my dad to stay at that school. And she was like, no, that wasn't your dad. That was me. Um, and for her, you know, she came from Korea. There are a lot of, um, I think there's still a lot of, uh, really high competition in terms of, um, education and job related stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And for her, she was like, you know, in Korea, you sell your house to make sure your kid goes to the best school. That's what you do. And so um, she saw me going to that private school as being like the way to get the best education. That was the best school that she believed there was in the area. And so for her, it was really important that I go there. Um, And she was like, your dad was just being a good husband. I think he thought that you would be fine at either place, but he knew that it was important to me that you go there 
to get a good education. So he's stuck by hmm. like backed up what I wanted. Interesting. <laughs> but I, and I was like, wait, I spent like thirty something years or like almost thirty years believing this was on him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it was. It was. A, both of us learned a lot in that conversation. Yeah, sounds like it. Jeez, that's wild. Yeah. Do you? So you said that that's like, um, kind of. What would you say like that informed the way you viewed education then, or even the education system? Like going through that, did you actually stick through through high school? Well, I had a brief hiatus. Okay, um, <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think by high school, I was definitely looking for ways out. So this is this was that tie back to the growing up in the music scene there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I wasn't friends with a lot of people at my school. <laughs> okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, but I did find friendship and community and all of that with the music scene. And so, yeah. like, um, so I, well, I did a lot of sneaking out in high school and going to shows. Same. <laughs> Same. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, Which is also funny because you say like you 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 end up telling or even talking to your parents about some of the stuff you did when you were younger that you experienced when you were younger, like when like even just a few years ago, like while my dad was still alive, like I would I talked to like my mom and dad about how like in high school how many times I would sneak out to either go see someone I was like dating or to go to a gig or just do whatever, and they were like, really? I'm like, yeah. A lot of that, a lot of those times I was doing that. And then um, there were actually plenty of times where they caught me. So it was, it was fine. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also good for them to learn the kind of kid they actually raised. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So before we started recording, um, you said that uh, you, you've been working with young people since you were a young person. Yep. And you, I know you're currently working with young people. What has that looked like for you, like in your evolution as an educator? Okay. So this goes back to the punk scene again. Yep, that's right? important. So, so I, I think growing up in that community and being in that space, like, um, to this day, I don't, I think that there were people who said this seriously and people who said it kind of tongue in cheek, but something that people, um, that people said frequently was don't trust anyone over 25. Hmm. And that was, that was the space I was living in and Mm -hmm. growing up in, you know? And so did you um, fear becoming 25 (laughs) even growing up? You know, it seems so far away. And Uh to be honest, there was a large part, I think for not just me, but for a lot of the people I was around where that seemed like not only far away in terms of age, but like, was it something we would ever get to? Would we make it that long? Yeah. Um, and, um, and so I don't know, we, so I was growing up in that space. Um, there was, you know, this was a space where literally like the people putting on shows were still in their teens. Like that's what was going on. Mm-hmm. So we were able to see, um, in action that like, yeah, we could do this stuff. And not only did we not need quote adults, yeah. but, but a lot of people there saw, saw adults as people who got in the way and who didn't listen, who yep. caused problems, mm-hmm. um, all of this other stuff. And so I think I, I grew up in that space. And so when, I, as I started aging out, as I started becoming, <laughs> becoming more of an adult or whatever, um, I think that involvement in the music community really shaped, um, without necessarily being conscious of it, but shaped that belief that 
young people have an important voice. They have a valid voice, like valid things to say and in real concerns, and they can do real work. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think I, I had that mentality. And then I started to see more and more as I got older that other people didn't believe that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, so I definitely still feel the importance of that and feel the importance of supporting young people and doing the things they care about and working to address the things they care about and stuff like that. And that's definitely tied in a very strong way to having grown up in that music scene. Hmm. Um, So since then, I think, I think I said, like, I've been working with young people since I was a young person. And when I started doing it, it was clearly not thinking about working with young people, right? I was just working with my community. That's what I was doing. Um, And so when I was um, an undergrad, then I I was doing, that's where the violence intervention and prevention work started, doing work around sexual assault and stalking and um, interpersonal violence and stuff like that. And that was just among my friends and among other people my age and things like that. Um, And then also working with queer communities there, which again, it was just that wasn't thinking about working with young people. It was just like the community I was in and I was a part of and wanting to work to um, improve the situations that we were in, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And, um, and then when I moved from Kentucky to Vermont, I think that's the first time that I actually made a shift to where I was doing something that I recognize as like, quote, working with youth. I -hmm. I wasn't working in my community anymore, but I was working with young people specifically. Um, But that's where I was working at a teen center. And so, you know, these were, I think it was like 12 to 19 or something like that. So clearly not my peers anymore. (laughs) um, At that point, it was people who were younger. Um, And there it was doing media work, um, nutrition education. We had, that was... Uh, a teen center that had a skate park and a garden. Hmm. Um, so it was also um, a place that we could introduce, well, not just not introduce, but encourage and um, and help young people who are already involved in music and stuff like that push that. Um, hmm. Like the indoor part of the skate park, we had a, a ramp inside that doubled as a stage for shows and stuff like that. Hell yeah. Um, Super awesome. Um, and then I continued working with uh, with organizations in Vermont that did work with queer young people. Um, and when I moved to Chicago, there's been lots of moving over the last yeah, yeah, however yeah. long. But in Chicago, I was doing work with young people um, specifically with a specific focus on using media in different ways. Yeah. Um, well, and that's even evolved. So I imagine mm-hmm. that you've been having, and I know we've had conversations about this, but you've been having to like keep up with even how media has evolved with how students use it. Yeah, both how students use it and what's available. Like in Chicago, um, in one of the roles that I had, it was it was working in a um, af- it was in a school, but in an after school space, um, and in a in an environment that the students didn't see as being part of the school, even though it was mm. in the school, because it was so vastly different than yeah. their experience in the rest of the building. Um, 
And for that, it was also just keeping track, of, like keeping up with new technologies that we have. Like um, there we were having students get involved with like programming and coding and doing music production and video production and all of this other stuff. But like, you know, like robotics and stuff like that, that wasn't something that was accessible mm-hmm. or like being like put out to teens when I was a teen, mm-hmm. <laughs> not, not in that, not in the way that it is now. No, it's, it's always fun. Cause as we've gotten a little bit older, it's always, I, I can't even look back and be like, when I was growing up, we didn't really have a lot of access to, I didn't have a lot of access to computers that I could just use or even smartphones where I could look up stuff. And like there are students who just cannot fathom that right now. Yep. It's wild. Yep. I think at one point we were we were um, telling some of our students about how there was like computers used to just be black and green screens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were like, mm-hmm. "No, <laughs> like what?" I'm like, no. "Yeah, like you know that how we always talk about that Great Oregon Trail game? Literally, all it was. Yep. And we would play it a long time because we thought this was like the coolest thing." And, like, when I grew up in Oregon, like, that was the whole thing. Like, we have a game named after us? And then we actually learned that it was an actual thing. <laughs> it's not just something in that computer. Yeah. yeah. Goodness. Um, I guess uh, kind of a last question before moving to the other segment. Um what have you found is like like your favorite part doing this work with the youths today? Because I know you you have some pretty good attachments to your students, and I love that. Yeah, yeah. So so right now in the work that I'm doing, actually, um, with my high school students, it's been really focused on racial equity because that's what they care about. That's that's the area they wanted to go down, and um, and it's been really awesome. Um, and right now with the students I'm with, some of them, this is their senior year. I've been with them for their entire high school career so far since they were freshmen um and so in terms of what in general in terms of what I like best about working with young people it really is being able to um both see them as they grow their interest and grow like kind of come into their own more and figure out the directions they're going and all that but also like again, they're already doing stuff now. They're already taking care of stuff that um, that means something to them. And so being able to be a support and be a resource to um, help that happen is something that means a lot to me. Um, I end up having students from, or some, not students, because they haven't always been students, depending on yeah. where I've been, the role I've been in. But young people uh, get back in touch with me however long after and let me know what they're doing now. That's fantastic. I just, I love hearing um, hearing updates about the paths they've gone down and where they're at. And whether it's good or bad, like sometimes it's not good, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still, it means a lot that, um, to be someone that they want to keep that connection with and give an update to even when it is something that they're struggling with. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's, it's really both, both being able to be a support, um, and just like having the, um, the privilege or the honor of being someone that they want to, um, that they allow into their lives in that way. Well, and it clearly shows that you've, that they see the investment that you put in them too, that clearly you're doing the work and they, um, trust someone over 25 
<laughs> I am over 25 now. For better or worse, I yeah, suppose. Some of them actually don't believe that, but that's okay. <laughs> Same. All right, time for our first break of the podcast to bring you some good words about the folks at No More Deaths, No Mas Muertes, which is an organization that is doing incredibly important work right now with all the bullshit going on the U.S.-Mexican border. Um, No More Deaths is a humanitarian organization that is helping out folks in Arizona and New Mexico, uh, giving water and food and supplies to volunteers uh, who are helping folks uh, throughout the desert and trails, just trying to get through uh, and into America safely, and just helping folks who are um, in need of legal support uh, with migration and immigration status documents to become um, American citizens and doing incredible human rights work uh, to make sure that folks in the U.S. Border Patrol are held responsible for some of the behaviors that they're doing by mistreating folks uh, who are just trying to get into this country and have a little bit of a better life. So please consider donating to No Mas Muertes at nomoredeaths.org. That's no more deaths, no mas muertes at nomoredeaths.org. Please donate today. Now back to this conversation with Don Graham. Cool. Transitioning a little bit to the thing that I think is fascinating about the work you do outside of (laughs) all of the teaching of the youth, but I'm sure there's plenty of it interwoven. You do a lot of work with zines. Yes. Yes. How long have you been doing that and how did you get into doing that? I'm sure they were present growing up, but for you taking it on so the first scene that i ever made was in eighth grade there we go um some i was asked this question recently um somewhere else and i actually did the math and had a moment because i was like that was over 20 years ago when i made my first scene um and it was for a class i don't remember which one but rather than do a paper i made a zine and had copies for everyone about the history of anarchism and um, oh. early anarchist thinkers and the differences between between them, mm-hmm. um, between those philosophies and the history of the Haymarket Affair. Yeah. So that was eighth grade, that, <laughs> first scene. So you were like already up there. <laughs> you were like already up there in your private school. Yep. <laughs> yep. In my private school, handing that out. I got, I definitely was started getting called a commie after that. And even though Hell I was like, oh, yeah. you got the words wrong, but I mean, that's <laughs> okay. Um, uh, but yeah, so that was the first one. And I kind of uh, flirted with making them randomly um, every once in a while after that. But um, so I'll, I'm going to backtrack a little bit and just say my entry into zines was through political 
stuff. Um, yeah, I was going to ask, like, how did you even know what it was to make one? Right. So my entry in, I don't know why, but um, my idea of fun when I was younger was to read um, early, like, different political philosophies and mm. stuff like that and try to understand social theory and and economic policy and po- like the political um ideas that that frame how people deal with stuff and yeah. so so this has been in your brain for a while it's been in my brain um and a lot of more um i guess radical thinking you couldn't access through books at the library or wherever i don't know your private school (laughs) yeah and so ak press was something that i somehow found early on i don't know how i found it but i did Mm -hmm. and um and i mean i was a middle school kid so i didn't have a lot of money to to toss around so Mm -hmm. it was like how many dollars could i stuff in an envelope and mail order and like zines were more cost effective right you could Mm -hmm. get more for less Mm -hmm. (laughs) so um, so zines were how I accessed some of that information early on. Um, and then by the time that I started going to shows and I saw people with their own zines that they made there, it was like, oh, okay, I recognize that. That's cool. You can also do it about your own life or whatever's going on around you too. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was already a format that I was used to and comfortable with at that point. Um, so, so that was also something that um, helped kind of not, val- I guess, validate um, zines as being a um, a way to communicate with people was, like, again, seeing that it shows as another space. Um, but in terms of when I got into doing more of the distro stuff and things like that, that was later. Um, the series that I have done um, about my day-to-day life and stuff like that, which is the most ongoing zine series that I've ever done, called I'm a Ichu. That one started back, that one started in 2010, and um, I was also doing other, like, collaborative zines and stuff like that with people around that time, and so um, shortly after then is when I started doing a distro that was really just to help get out the stuff that I'd made or made with friends that I had Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And then more recently, I don't, and FYI, my sense of time is terrible. So when I say more recently, I don't know how far back this actually goes. Um, but at whatever point, I started inviting other people to be included in the distro hmm. and, and opened that up to be beyond the stuff that I had made or had been involved with making. Hmm. Um, and so that's where things are now. But. Yeah. What's your distro called? Stay Kind. Stay Kind. Yeah. That's right. It's so great. Um you so you go it's it's always fascinating to me. You're willing to take the time on the weekend to just drive to like Pennsylvania yes. for like a zine fest. What's it like doing zine fests and the positives and some of the negatives? I, I'm just fa- I'm fascinated by it. There are definitely both <clears throat> positives and negatives to this. Um, so first of all, I should say if I didn't have other people's stuff, I don't think I would be as devoted to make those trips okay. and do those events. Yeah. But but having other people's um, zines on hand and kind of being responsible for helping get them out there mm-hmm. and whatnot is a lot of what... Not not a lot. I think that is what drives doing those trips, uh, or else I, I wouldn't bother, because I don't care enough about my own stuff getting out <laughs> into the world to, to do that. Um, so in terms of positives and negatives... Um, 
I mean, positives is always like getting a chance to talk to other people, connect to other people, see what else um, people are making and, and things like that. There's some pretty interesting conversations that can come up. Um, negatives. So there's been an interesting shift that I feel like has been happening lately. Um, I think zines have been on the rise, along with records, things like that. I think yeah. people are feeling that nostalgia or like missing tangible yep. analog things, yep. right? Hence the brick of records I have on my wall. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, and so it's cool that more people are getting into zines and making them now and stuff like that. And um, what I've started to see is more people... I don't know if I've seen this as much in terms of content, but honestly, when I'm at events, I don't, I'm not able to make it around a lot um, to actually see what I, like all the other zines other people have. Mm-hmm. Um, but as more people are getting involved, it also means more people who may not be aligned or share some of the same values that mm-hmm. are doing zine stuff now. Um, I think it was at a fest in, I can't remember if it was in Pennsylvania or somewhere in Massachusetts, but um, the first time I ever saw someone with a Confederate flag on their shirt at a zine fest, um, it threw me off. It, it kind of threw me for a loop. I was like, wait, do you know, do you mean to be here? And I, yeah. I think they did, but it caught me off guard. Um, and there have been more and more of those kinds of things coming up now. I've had oh. people, um, I mean... So a lot of the, the zines that I have, they're, a lot of them are created by queer folks, people of color, queer people of color, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, that kind of thing. And some of that is pretty obvious from the covers of them or whatnot. And I also do- donate a portion of all sales to different um, organizations and groups doing different kinds of work. Um, so right now, that's going to... No Mas Muertes or No More Deaths in Arizona, which does humanitarian aid um, along the border. Some of the we've other been, we've been hyping them up on the podcast lately, since nice. you actually brought them to my attention. So nice, yeah, they yeah. do really important work, um, and it's also gone to places like the Queer Detainee Empowerment Project, Black and Pink, um, a bunch of different places. But when I'm tabling and on the website, it always there's always something that states where money is going to. Yeah. And so that's always there, both to let people know, um, so they can make a decision about their own <laughs> money spending, right? Yeah. Um, and to help raise awareness about whatever that organization is. And um, there have definitely been more and more moments of people walking by and seeing where the money is going to and getting pissed and walking off or um, whatnot. And I think just the last one that I was at Last weekend, um, someone was looking at stuff, and then the person with her grabbed her by the arm and pulled her away and into her ear said, don't support that. Um, and so Sick. that happens, you know? Sick. Um, and I think partly it's, like, as as zines are becoming um, more known, it is just more people getting involved or, or coming to things that don't necessarily share some of those values that zines really were based on um yeah it almost on. seems like some folks are just trying to like cash in on the craze and i mean i see that in a lot of vinyl collecting and even people who press vinyl and a lot of folks 
will uh, and labels and distributors will be like, "Oh, we're gonna put out this record because we know you'll buy it," and we're like, "That's not really why we collect or like pressing ridiculous things for specifically nostalgia." Like, there's there are folks that are just pressing like um, old cartoon soundtracks and old movie soundtracks with like ridiculous colors and stuff because they'll be like. Hey, shut up. You'll buy this. Like, we know you will. Yeah. Like, but at the core of it is like, why? Why are you trying to take advantage of this? Well, but I think that is part of, um, as anything grows and reaches more people, there's, I don't want to say, um, I'm trying to be careful of the words that I use here because I, I don't want to say something I don't mean, but. That's 100% on brand for you, though. <laughs> In the last three years, you're always, you are the like we are very opposites in that and I, I know you've 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 witnessed that it's like i'll just say whatever yep and then i have to backtrack and you're like let me think and it's always like you poking like tapping your nose yep thinking before you say it and i'm like well don i know you're better than me nah. <laughs> um <coughs> But I think, like, as things grow and you have people getting involved, and there are different reasons they're getting involved, right? There are different paths that they took to get there. Um, and it's just, like, you're seeing you're seeing zines more places now. And so for some people, there's their, their path into it, like, I mean, you have universities teaching classes on zines now. Mm-hmm. So... Um, that changes what it means to you and what it, what something like that can be to you um, Mm -hmm. if you're exposed in that way. And so I think for some people um, it, it can be seen more as just like it is another medium to get a message across, but, Mm -hmm. but like without that, that historical tie to what they came from Um, or it, it can be seen as like a way to make money which is what some people are, are trying to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that also shifts what happens because a lot of, like, zines, um, a lot of times the purpose was to be an accessible form of communication, not just for the person creating it, but for the people receiving it mm-hmm. um, or the people they're trying to get it to. And so the shift towards thinking about is this a way to make money, that also changes accessibility for who can get that content. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are a lot of different changes happening, but I don't, I don't want to say any of it's bad necessarily. It's mm-hmm. just a part of how things change and yeah. it, it shifts what it means to people. Yeah. And it, while you're saying that, it made me think about how when you were first getting into them, it was such an accessible medium because you could just stuff some money in an envelope and then see, basically just see what you got back. But if folks are literally just trying to make money off of it, like it does change like almost its complete value. Um, And it's interesting to me how um, over time such a thing can, I don't know, can have that like different valuation and seemingly like uh, not even a full generation of its like current iteration. Cause I know they've been around for forever, yep. but like even do you think that that's representative of our, our current culture in general, or has it kind of always been developing into that? I don't, I, I think 
this is what happens when something becomes more well known then people are using it for different reasons um and and actually while you were talking i realized there is an important piece to this where money i feel very differently about how money or how money comes into play for mm -hmm. some people because when you're talking about again like a lot of the pieces that i carry are by queer folks people of color um and especially when you're talking about queer people of color, um, then it costs more. Like, not that it costs more, but like, um, there can be more barriers to making, getting stuff out there, more barriers to people paying attention to it, mm -hmm. um, lots of stuff like that. And so, um, and like, actually, one of my, one of the zines that I used to carry that's one of my favorites is one that I haven't been able to um, have again because, like, the cost is prohibitive for the person making it to be able to run more copies, mm. you know? And, um, so on the other side of that, I also feel like, like, um, there are people for whom I don't mind when they like put the price up. This is kind of yeah. like an equity issue yeah, too, right? That's fair. Um, so I don't, I don't know. That was just like another side to this. Cause I realized I made the comment about money, making money, but there's yeah. also for people in order to create any of that, they need to make that money back. They can't, like, there are people who can afford to make a zine and give it out or yeah. whatever, and there are people who can't do that. Yeah, especially for, like, either a higher quality product or if it's just truly kind of, like, a special printing or even, like, the amount of emotional labor that goes into putting it together, I imagine. Yeah, there are a lot of different pieces. All that being factored in. Yeah. No, that's, uh... No, that all, that all totally makes sense. Um... So when you when you do this work and you have folks kind of react that way to even where the money is going, um, and knowing that some of that stuff out there is personally yours, how much connection do you have to like those sorts of reactions? I don't know. Um, is that too heavy, Don? No, it's not too heavy. <laughs> I just, I mean, I feel I'm. It's not too heavy. I just, I don't, I can't, I don't feel too much about it. Like, I notice when it happens, mm -hmm. and I always kind of have this moment of, uh, like, laughing a little bit or or something. Mm -hmm. um, it, like, it feels not, it's not unexpected for things like that to happen. It's just been interesting to see it happen more um, more recently yeah um and i think that's reflective of the shift in like some cultural shifts that we've had more more generally yeah um i don't know i don't take it i definitely don't take it personally i kind of feel like with any of that um different people have different different feelings yeah. whatever that happens um <clears throat> one of the things that I have thought about more so is I will talk to people about some of the things that I see at mm -hmm. ZineFest or in other places or in dealing with white supremacists in general mm -hmm. and, and like white supremacy rising and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And um, I know that about you. Yeah. And no I, patience. Yep. And I will yes, have that conversation like at ZineFest with people, with white people, mm -hmm. um, when I'm surrounded by white people. And I often have this moment of like, how much am I getting myself into trouble? Because I don't know if you're my friend right now or not. You know, <laughs> that's real. And I, and it, it kind of is a. I'm sure there are people who would feel bummed out to hear that. That mm -hmm. like I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure where they stand on things. Because, um, but that that is kind of where we're at right now. Mm -hmm. And um, 
and this is a part of the shift in zine culture and of other spaces. Um, I think a lot of, mm, okay, folks who are involved with, um, so, okay, let me, let me take one step back and say, when we talk about white supremacy, we're not just talking about the people who are involved in like white nationalist groups and things like that. Right. Um, there are, we can talk about that as being on a spectrum where even the most well-intentioned white people are holding, they're benefiting from white supremacy. Yeah. Um, and then you've got people who are not only benefiting from it, but, but vying for it. And that's what they're going for. Um, so if we acknowledge that spectrum, first of all, yeah, (laughs) um, that's important, but for folks who are actively working, trying to work towards, um, supporting white supremacy and things like that, one of the things that I think is important to recognize is the ways that they're not doing that vocally. Hmm. And they are entering spaces, they are entering um, um, different modes of communication, whether that's music, whether that's zine stuff, and they're getting those ideas out there without blatantly saying it, and being part of those communities and building relationships. Um, And so, so that's... I. That's why I do have those moments, like being in um, different spaces when I'm talking about it with people who in the past I may have assumed were, were friendly to where I was coming from. But I, I honestly, I don't hold that assumption as true in my head anymore. Yeah. I mean, from like a lot of our table, tabling experience over the last couple of years, like we have sexual assault prevention stuff out all the time. And like we also have like condoms and tampons on our on our tables and people will come by and like kind of scoff at it a little bit or they'll laugh or they'll whatever. And like, we'll see like, like a lot of dude bros, like kind of laugh at our stickers and we're just like, but like, we don't want a dangerous scene for people. Like that's what we're trying to, to do here. And most recently we, we are tabling at a gig uh, in Alston, which is like historically pretty punk and dirty and, there's a bunch of crusties on most most corners, um, and we were at I forget what gig it was, but this guy um, walked by our table and he had like a Trump shirt on, and we were like, like Katie and I looked at each other and we're like, does he know where he is right now? Like especially in the venue, especially the bands that we were tabling for. Like I don't think he knows where he is right now. Otherwise, he's just tr- either we were like, is he being ironic or is this like legit? happening he like left the venue and came back and he had a a button up over his shirt and we were just like okay so he probably felt the eyes i hope he felt the eyes on him because we were not like it made people uncomfortable like clearly made people uncomfortable like some people came over to our table like do you see this fucking guy over there like what's what's that about and like like what you're saying it's they're not doing it necessarily vocally or even some people aren't doing publicly but the folks who are doing it publicly there is a sect that i've noticed and we have noticed sometimes even on my campus is like some folks think we see doing it are like just doing it to be a dick and for the laugh of it all which is like so sinister to me Yeah, well, so this also raises another side to it that I have been trying to piece through for a while in terms of, um, you know, is it better to just know where someone stands? A Mm -hmm. lot of times I think it is, even though it can suck. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. you know, okay, like, I see, I see you have that shirt on. I know where you're at, at least that, Mm -hmm. that could potentially be better than not knowing. And I don't know. I don't know. But that's, that it also changes 
it changes um, not just interactions, but what it means to other people and what it means to that person to, to engage in a space and feel comfortable putting a certain message forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are two sides to it, and I don't know yet which one is better. Well, and it, it it keeps like kind of flashing in my mind because like more recently I've been seeing a lot of like Reagan Bush 84 shirts and I'm like, holy shit, in like 20 years is like Urban Outfitters going to be putting out Trump 2016 Make America Great Again, like vintage wash shirts just as like a throwback nostalgia thing that like kids will think is kitschy and fun. Like that actively scares me. <laughs> Okay, so here's the other thing. I don't brush those things off as being kitschy and fun. No, I well, I mean, people will see that as that, yeah, though. Yeah, yeah. Because, like, I see people with the, like, even the, like, um, the shirts that are, like, world champions of, like, two World War champion shirts. I'm like, but, like, y'all know what went into that shit, though, right? Like, it's not funny. No. But companies will will profit off of it. Yeah. Yep. It's trash. We're living in a very weird timeline. We'll get through it. I don't know. I mean, that's... Maybe. Well, that, I mean, that's one of the things. Like, I feel like I feel like a lot of people have kind of taken on, a, like, I think it's eased up some, but like a very kind of doom and gloom um, yeah. sensibility to things. And like, the the reality is, like, no, like, there there's a lot of really terrible things happening right mm-hmm. now. We need to acknowledge that. There are a lot of really awful things that aren't being addressed mm-hmm. to the degree they need to be addressed. Um, and also we've gotten through a lot of shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like we have, there've been awful things that have happened before. Mm-hmm. Um, awful shit's going to keep happening. It's going to keep happening. And, and there've been places that we've found ways to make improvements and mm-hmm. come out better on the other end of it. And um, like, you know, this is, it's going to be, there's always going to be something, something to do, but Um, I don't think that, like, it's not, it's not all doom. (laughs) Well, yeah, no, I think that's why I've always liked the name of your distro is just stay kind, like have some sort of a heart about things and have some sort of compassion or like we were at a comedy gig last night and someone was like doing like a fake, um, kind of sounded like, uh, an improv, uh, stump speech. And it was basically like, let's just like hug it out. Like, let's be friends. Like, just be nice to each other. (laughs) Like, sometimes if we just did that, we might be a better place. Yes. Yes. And I will say, I definitely have my moments of questioning that logic. (laughs) Yep. That's fair. (laughs) Okay. Let's take a quick break from this conversation to play you some music, play you a full song from the new Just Friends album, which is called Nothing But Love. It came out back in June on Counterintuitive Records. Just Friends is a fantastic California-based ska band that is making some fun, ridiculous ska tunes for your ear holes. I am absolutely obsessed with this album. It is super great. A bunch of my friends back in college had a bunch of ska bands, so I definitely loved hearing some some new wave ska, if you will, still alive and better than ever 
this album is uh, available for free download uh, through Counterintuitive Records' Bandcamp account. Follow the link in the show notes. You can also get a vinyl copy through them as well. Or you can also just go to justfriendsca.bandcamp.com if you want to support the band directly. And yeah. I'm going to play you a song right now called Supersonic off of the album Nothing But Love by Just Friends. Here you go. That was Supersonic by Just Friends. Head over to counterintuitiverecords.com. Get yourself a vinyl copy. Get yourself a digital copy today. Support the band. Support the label. Now, let's finish up this conversation with Don Graham with a quick lightning round. Let's end on a positive note, Don. I like to do this thing called the lightning round. We're going to ask you things that you like in the world. Oh, dang. Okay. And you can do the first thing off the top of your head or take time. I can edit this and make it sound a whole lot better. I've had to do that sometimes. It's fine. Uh, But yeah, just a few things. What's your favorite color? Blue. That's not true. I don't think it's true. (laughs) We'll we'll stay with it. Blue. Okay. That's fine. You lied to me, but it's okay. (laughs) Um, What about your favorite food? You said you love food. I do love food. Okay, so all of the desserts just started going through my head, um, but there was a chocolate, like a vegan chocolate raspberry martini mousse thing that I had Whoa. in outside Chicago that was incredible. It was a dessert that um, I think it was called Blind Faith Cafe made, okay. and it, it was only for special times, so you couldn't just get it whenever. Mm. And so I, you, like, went out of your way to make sure you got it. Well, we didn't even know. Oh. Like, we went for, like, a Valentine's Day dinner, and that was, like, the special dessert 
and we so we had that we almost got into a fight because we both wanted more of it <laughs> and it was fantastic and at this point we're both kind of like was that even real like did we did did that really exist because mm-hmm. it was so good mm-hmm. and we'll never have it again probably mm. i like i do like food <laughs> that's that's fair um so throughout all the zine stuff and whatnot do you do do you read human books like books <laughs> If so, what's one of your favorite books? Or a few, whatever. Oh, dang, one of my favorites. Um, so I'm going to go way back in time here, but a, oh, uh, a Clockwork Orange has stood out as one of my favorites um, since I was younger. Uh, and I have lots of feelings. Same. Um, I have it tattooed on it. me, and I have a lot of feelings about it. Yep. But as a book, it's like one of those books that... Open my mind to how language can be used. Yes. Yes. Yep. Cool. Uh, so I know you see a lot of movies. What's maybe like a favorite all time and then something more recent that you liked? Oh, no. There was actually something that I liked recently that I saw. I have a terrible memory and I can't remember the name or anything about That's it fun. other than I know I liked it. Um <laughs> <laughs> We're doing fine. <laughs> uh, for favorites, I don't know. So again, the Clockwork Orange, because of the storyline, was one mm-hmm. like when I was younger. I used to like a lot. I can't watch it. I haven't been able to watch it in a very long time. Same. Um, Pie is yeah. a movie that I like a lot. I don't know. Some Arnofsky stuff. Do you mm-hmm. like some of his other stuff? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then more recently. The Meg. Yeah, I saw The Meg yesterday. That's definitely not going on my top anything. <laughs> but I did see it. Um, I think Get Out was one that's more recent that really uh, has still stuck with me. Hmm. But, yeah. yeah, cool. Um, what about some TV stuff? Do you have time to watch TV? Normally, if I have something playing, it's like on in the background while I'm doing other things, mm-hmm. um, but not really watching it. Uh, so lately, my background mm-hmm. Netflix thing has been the great British, whatever it's called, baking yeah, show. Yeah, Bake Off. Bake Off, that thing. I still haven't gotten into that, but people say it's like nice chopped. It's, it's so nice. Goodness. It's so nice. It's just people being nice and making food. <laughs> See, and I, oh, that kind of, that doesn't sound nice. That doesn't sound, like, appetizing to me. I like the, I like the thrill. See, like, because I've been getting into Shark Tank lately. So, like, the late stage capitalism of it all is just, like, like, that's kind of why I hate watch it. <laughs> so I can't, if I have Shark Take on, I actually want to watch it and pay attention, which is, again, I normally put stuff on while I'm trying to do other yeah. things. So that's not something I'm going to put on yeah. usually because I'm, it's going to distract me. <laughs> no, it's such a fascinating show. It's wild. Um, what's one of your favorite places you've ever visited or traveled to or lived? Mm, so lived Chicago, without a doubt. Um yeah, Chicago. 
I don't know. I feel like I used to like to travel a lot. Um, that has not been able to happen for a very long time. And at this point, when I do go someplace, I'm more focused on like being able to see friends and mm-hmm. make those visits again rather than like checking out a new place. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I'd love to be at a place where I could do just random travel again, but priority has been making those connections with people mm. more so. So, so going back to Kentucky is usually place of choice at this point. Yeah. Um, I tend to end on like music because uh, music's interwoven in this podcast a lot. Um, so throughout your years, what are some bands that have stuck with you? And then maybe some more recent stuff that you're enjoying. I don't think I can answer the more recent. That's fine. <laughs> so I haven't been paying as, as much attention, but Avail is always at the top. Mm-hmm. Right now I'm wearing an Iron Sheik shirt, yep. so whatever that means. Well, um, I mean, they put out a new album last year. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. 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 Avail is, is always at the top of the list, yeah. so... Because you have a couple tattoos to that, right? I that have two. <laughs> I have two Avail tattoos. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> I definitely have a flash sheet on my wall of a whole album of tattoos that could get from Avail, but I'm just trying to let that live on the flash sheet yep. instead. Yep. Uh, the band Nothing included a flash sheet with one of their records, and I was like, I might get all of these. They all literally looked like stick and pokes, though. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't think I, I don't, I don't think that's really my aesthetic. It's yeah. fine. I don't need to get these. <laughs> well, Don, uh, thank you so much for sitting down and chatting with me. Uh, how can folks get uh, your zines? Uh, you can get them at staykind.com. You can get them online there. Um, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook at staykinddistro to keep, uh, keep up with what's going on and you can find me out and about at events um different places if you want to find me in person and be able to actually check the zines out in person too sick well uh thank you again you've been one of my favorite things about going to work the last three years (laughs) uh i often tell katie stories about the stuff we discuss and the things that students discuss with us and we have to think on our feet sometimes yep. <laughs> how to respond. Yep. Uh, I'm going to miss having your organization around. <laughs> and thank you for putting up with my half-paying attention sometimes when we're doing <laughs> shit. No, we're good. No, thank you. <laughs> it's been fun. And I'm sure we'll still be seeing each other. So Probably. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> oh, wow. We did it. Another great conversation done and finished and had thank you again to don graham uh one of my favorite human beings as i've said many times throughout this episode and i am just really stoked that don was willing to share so much of their experiences and how they got to where they are today please 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 support their uh, zine distribution go to staykinddistro.com and support don check out their social media Get some of those zines. Even go to AK Press, uh, which was also featured in the podcast. They have a fantastic new chat booklet out by Shauna Potter of War on Women, who we interviewed back in April. So if you want to even support one of the first presses that uh, got Dawn into the game, go do that. 
And yeah, if you liked the tunes that you heard throughout this episode from the ska punkers uh, from California called Just Friends, go to counterintuitive.com, get yourself a digital copy, get a vinyl copy, whatever works for you, however you listen to music, support No Mas Muertes, No More Deaths over at nomoredeaths.org, and help out some folks doing great humanitarian work at the border. If you're a first-time listener, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, too. That'd be really, really, really helpful. And we'll be back next week uh, with a whole brand new episode. And then there will be a bonus episode. It's wild. It's going to be a whole thing. We recorded it already, and I think you're definitely going to enjoy it. Hopefully as much as you enjoyed this conversation. But thanks again to Don Graham, and we'll be back next week. Uh, let's get to work. Oh,